I've been getting some feedback about this sermon series, Truthing, and we're learning that the series actually has generated some tension in people. In fact, the stories that we've been looking at do indeed create some tension inside of us as we consider the plight of the characters involved when lies and deceit have been the theme of the day. That's no different in the story today that we're going to look at, the story of Ananias and Sapphira. One of the things we must realize about this tension is that it's the kind of tension that's present when there's a tug of war. I remember watching and actually being a part of field days as a kid when we would have two sides lined up and we always enjoyed it when it was the all the kids against a few of the teachers and they would pull that rope until there was tension and then they would say, go, and we would have a tug of war. It's not quite the same way, but what does happen in these stories is that we are being tied to the truth about us or about our world or about God, and we're also being tied by the presence of the Holy Spirit pulling us into the very communion of God and into truth. And we may be feeling some pull against that. The story that we're reading today is actually an extraordinary uh, moment in the life of the early church. It's a defining moment of, by the Holy Spirit, brought by the Holy Spirit, to reveal truth the truth about Ananias and Sapphira and what they conspired to do. But we would call it an extraordinary moment because it wasn't a regular event with such dire consequences. People weren't dying every week because of what was in their hearts, if there was a lie or a deception or something not true in their hearts. It's important then that we look at the characters that are in the story. Luke is writing to his friend Theophilus in order to reveal again a story of the church and its beginnings. And he's following up on his account in what we call the book of Luke and now his account in the book of Acts. And so the characters in this story is Peter Peter, who is coming out of a time of intense pressure and examination and threats uh, with John that they would quit preaching the message of Jesus in Jerusalem. Then we have all the believers, the church in Jerusalem, that had been praying. And as they had prayed and surrendered and entrusted themselves to the sovereignty of God, the place where they were praying was shaken and they were filled with the Holy Spirit and they spoke the word of God boldly. We also see Joseph or Barnabas who's presented as a positive example of generosity and sacrificial giving in their community. And then we see husband and wife, Ananias and Sapphira, who are a negative example of giving and of um, covering up the truth about their lives. And then we see the crowds in Jerusalem. 
the one who's mentioned but would have been unseen, is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the main character here, very present in the life of the church, always drawing people into the presence of Jesus, revealing the Father's heart. It's the Holy Spirit who has filled the church. And so the story of Ananias and Sapphira is actually framed with two evidences of the Holy Spirit. My friend Jim Yoder, who was also my mentor when Ellen and I first moved to Vancouver, Jim used to say the greatest evidence of a chain of the Holy Spirit, the greatest evidence of the Holy Spirit is a changed life. And so the changed lives here were evidence of the Holy Spirit, first in their care for the church, and there then in the church's care for the crowds. The Holy Spirit had moved the church to care for each other and to exhibit great generosity. In fact, to relinquish and surrender their belongings. And some of those who were rich were actually selling property and then entrusting or submitting that money to the apostles and the leaders of the church there. It says in verse 33 that God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all that there were no needy persons among them. So that when a need arose, the church was ready to respond and do something. This is evidence of a changed life. And then the story of Ananias and Sapphira is framed with the church itself caring for the crowds through the ministry and work of the apostles. These crowds were those who were coming, but also felt nervous and scared. But still the Holy Spirit wooed them and invited them into the very communion of God and therefore into the communion of the church. And the power of God was present such that people were being healed of sicknesses and infirmities and unclean, impure spirits were, that tormented them were being driven away. Do you know what was at work here is that those who were scared to join this community began to trust the Holy Spirit. They began to trust the people of God, and so they entrusted themselves and joined in. When fear gives way to trust, you know that truth has been present. This is what makes Ananias and Sapphira's conspiracy to lie and to deceive so dangerous. That when truth would be neglected, fear would rule and trust would diminish. Instead, what might have given way in the community was a yielding to the very work and power of Satan to always seek domination through power, through strength, through the welding of wealth, through the securing of becoming the most powerful person in the room, even through lies. 
Well, before we comment further, we should look closely at the story of Ananias and Sapphira. In verse 1 and 2, we see that Luke provides us with a summary that they sold a piece of property, and with his wife's full knowledge, Ananias kept back part of the money for himself and brought the rest and put it at the feet of the apostles. He presented it as if it was the total gift secured through the sale of his property. We don't, aren't given clarity about how Peter knew, but an, a confrontation occurs in which Peter confronts Ananias with a question. How is it that Satan has so filled your heart? You have lied to the Holy Spirit. You have, you had full control over these funds, but you've held them back. What made you think of such a thing? You've lied not only to the people, but you have lied to God. It was such a confrontation that we don't know why, but we're told what happened is that Ananias fell down and died. Then some young men came in from the church and they buried him. Later in the afternoon, there's another confrontation or perhaps an invitation to truth. When Sapphira comes in, she is quizzed Tell me, is this the price you and Ananias got for the land? And yes, she says, this is the price. And then Peter says, how could you conspire to test the spirit of the Lord? Listen, the feet of the men who buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out as well. And at that moment, she fell down at his feet and died. Now, this is truly an extraordinary event, but there is an invitation and I believe that in the invitation, there could have been a moment of truthfulness before death. Some see in this moment a, a recollection of the story of Achan in the Old Testament, who retained for himself some of the property that had been devoted and committed to God, and that he died and his family died because of it. That the community of God stood at the threshold of an incredible moment of disaster. There's an invitation here for us from the Holy Spirit. I believe Luke was providing this message to Theophilus and then later for the church so that we could see the Spirit of God bringing us an invitation that the Holy Spirit is always inviting us into the truth. Jesus said in John 16 that the Spirit of truth whom he would send would guide us into all truth. And so we must not become so casual that we ignore, neglect, and cover up the truth, that we turn to lies and deceit with the Spirit of God and with each other. Instead, the Holy Spirit does indeed at times bring us into a spirit or a season of confrontation, of consideration, of what might also be in our hearts. Notice how Peter asked, how is it that Satan has filled your heart? And what is it that Satan might fill our hearts with? What is it that Satan filled the heart of Ananias and Sapphira would Satan fill our hearts with greed and selfish ambition? I often think of the text in James, 
who being the half-brother of Jesus and present in the early church, would have likely and could have been a witness to this event. At least he knew of it. And in James chapter 3, we see him encouraging us to consider the truth about our hearts. He says, if you harbor bitter envy or selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. And so on this very extraordinary moment, the Holy Spirit is the main character inviting the church again to consider what is in your hearts. What is it and who is it that is filling your hearts? If Satan is filling our hearts, he will fill them with envy and selfish ambition and therefore every evil practice. But if the Spirit of God is filling our hearts, then James goes on to say that the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. Peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. And so the Holy Spirit invites us into a very sober moment of consideration of what is in our hearts. The Holy Spirit is inviting us, as he did then, into truth. Jesus said of his disciples, if the truth, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. We may fear the truth, but may our intense respect and love for God and the church overwhelm our fear of the truth, of shame, and of guilt and of condemnation, and of punishment. Instead, may we treat this story as an invitation. When I was younger and in the church that we grew up, we would sing many verses of a song, Just as I am, without one plea, but that God's grace was shed, blood was shed for me. And so just as we are, and just as you are, the Holy Spirit is inviting us into his presence. There's a picture in my house in our basement called the Revival. It's part of a series by Betty Andrews. And in that picture, there's a preacher pointing towards heaven. And there are people in the church on their knees, mourning and crying out to God. We do indeed speak at times of wanting revival, but are we yet longing for the truth? The truth about us, the truth about God. Jesus said of Satan that his native language is lying and untruths, but the native language of the Spirit of God is truth. The native language of Jesus is truth. The native language of God is truth. And that truth is life. And that truth 
is freedom. And so let us in this season, as we move towards the celebration of Jesus dying on the cross, his burial, and his resurrection, may we again consider and invite again the Holy Spirit to help us look closely at our hearts with him, that we may relinquish all that which is untrue and that is a lie and that is painted with deception and deceit, that he might fill us with the truth and therefore change our lives so that we can be generous with each other and that we might have the power of the Holy Spirit to offer healing and welcoming to the crowds.